Welcome back to Gesundheit with Jacobus, Health Talk Radio. Now your host, Jacobus Hollowine. And thank you very much for listening today. Gail Sulik is my guest. Dr. Gail Sulik wrote a book, Pink Ribbon Blues, How Breast Cancer Culture Undermines Women's Health. And obviously we are talking about uh, breast cancer. And you think about breast cancer or cancer in general, if you look at the amount of dollars that are being put in research, you would expect that with research, let's say very intensely, the whole pink ribbon culture has been around since 1991, 1992, that almost 20 years and the money that is being raised, and of course the research has already been going on much longer because mammography, which will be brought up today as well in the show, mammography has been around since 1961. So that has been a long time coming. You would expect that what we have learned from research would be implemented in everybody's daily life, specifically those with a higher risk of breast cancer. So you would say that developing breast cancer today is almost inexcusable because all the research dollars, the billions and billions and billions that have been put into research over the last 20 years because of all the fundraisers and the goodwill of the people, some information should have already have come out of that that should be normal knowledge, regular common knowledge for people to avoid breast cancer altogether, or at least that when it is there that we can fix it. But as Dr. Sulik is mentioning, the whole culture around it is keeping a lot of people financially stable, and there are some organizations that make a lot of money and the interest of the individual is not number one. It is how do we keep the industry going? How do we keep this? And, and I'm sure that if there is something else coming along, breast cancer may become second place and maybe we do find a cure because there is something else that hasn't been exposed yet for its practices behind the scenes, but actually is uh, something brand new that can draw people's attention to fundraising and making money somehow. We are a very giving nation, and it is uh, simply amazing. Even when you look in the town over here, uh, and comments have been going back and forth about uh, the stadium, the football stadium over here, raising $10 million for an for an end cap of a station, $10 million raised in, what, a month or two? It's unbelievable. And meanwhile, there are people that have nothing to eat in this town, and they have no place to stay, and they are financially devastated. And so it shows you that there is money. It's not that there's no money. It is just that how are we focusing our attention and the people behind the fundraising, what is their interest? What is their goal? What is what is what is in there for them? And you, it, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, Gail, we 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 want to continue a little bit about uh, the invasive and non-threatening cancer statistics that I mentioned at the end of the last hour. Yes. 
Um, and that, that was such an important set of statistics to bring out of the book, so thank you for that. Yeah. Um, that distinction is, is crucial between the invasive and the non-invasive types. And when we see that there was a, a decline in the invasive types of breast cancer, we actually know now that that decline is linked to a decrease in the usage of hormone replacement therapy, yes. which was found to not only contribute to stroke and heart, other uh, heart problems, but also to contribute to breast cancer. Yes. And initially, HRT was an estrogen-only pill. And so when that information came out through the world, um, it was the World, no, Women's Health Initiative. Yeah. Um, the focus from the, on the pharmaceutical side was, okay, well, we're, we're going to just create a new type of HRT. We shouldn't throw it out completely. We'll just create something else. We'll, we'll focus on the estrogen progesterone pill. And just a few months ago, those studies came out and said, no, that causes breast cancer too. Um, and so it's really fascinating when we're talking about what we can do ourselves. Um, do we have estrogen in our body? Do we eat soy? Do we take vitamin D? Do we shave or not shave? Or all of these questions we have about how to protect ourselves. But there is an entire industry in place that is saying, have hormone replacement therapy. It'll decrease your symptoms for menopause and yeah. it'll decrease your chances of osteoporosis when in fact it also is going to give you potentially health problems and breast cancer. That's totally so, true. Yes. Uh, go ahead, please. Yeah. So that, that slight decline in um, invasive of breast cancers is linked to the decrease in HRT. But the increase in the non-invasive types, which have gone up significantly, are very much due to uh, mammography screening. Yes. And so mammograms, what they tend to be good at is seeing calcifications. They show up really well on the screens. And the non-invasive DCIS in particular, it's uh, ductal carcinoma in situ, is very closely connected to calcifications uh, in the breast. So when we see that, there may be DCIS uh, present. But the question then is, what is DCIS? And that has become a major controversy. And in fact, um, scientists and researchers have come out in the last several years and said, you know, I don't think we should even call this a carcinoma because it does not tend to spread. And what makes cancer dangerous, of course, is the fact that it can spread and take over your body. Um, so when we think about the incidence rates and the diagnostics and the survival statistics and all of that, it's really important to consider whether it is one of those invasive types that has the capacity to spread or whether it's one of those non-invasive types. Yes. So then this brings us back to screening and what does that mean and what is early detection. We tend to hear the mantra over and over, early detection saves lives, and often early detection is classified as mammography screening. But you've written quite a lot about about this as well. Yeah. What we know about that yes. is that it's it's really not the answer that we hoped that it would be. Yeah. Um, and so the protocols have changed. Um, last year they officially changed, um, but the American Cancer Society and Komen have not changed their protocols, and so that's an issue as well. Yeah, you have so to wonder what is the reason behind that. Because, yeah. yes, and they probably feel that their machine, because that's part of the whole culture, the pink ribbon culture, the machine is still very strong. So why, why drop it? And that is a sad thing because you figure that if we have new answers, 
we should move in a new direction and uh, not hold on to something that, uh, realizing that the majority of people probably don't read newspapers and don't do research, and uh, so they're pretty dumb in their approach, so to say, and just cater to those people and, and milk them for what it's worth. And that is, you know, that is a very rough statement that I make here, but there is a reason why they can continue with the efforts that they do, the the, the whole uh, fundraising machine behind cancer is because they are not using the knowledge that has been already researched that has shown that things do not work while other things do work. There is not money put into what does work or what may work, and there is lots of money put into something that has been a proven cash cow. And what we can perceive, you know, if you look at the, the statistics, and the, the, the bulk of the data around screen, and this is not mammography as as a diagnostic tool doctors will agree if there is if you find a lump then go in have it checked and have a mammogram you know that will be the protocol but when it comes to screening the entire population of women at a particular age that's when it, we we see these problems because yes. we look to this particular tool as a form of prevention when it's not prevention. Um, And so when we look at the data, we can see that false positives are very, very high. They range between 75 to 95%. Yes. Um, The false negatives are also high, so anywhere from 25 to 40% of tumors that actually are cancerous are not found on a mammogram. Yes. And overall, the mortality reduction is about 10%. So... For most women, it's not working. For some, it is. For a small percentage, it is. But for most, it's not working. So to put all of your emphasis to that is is problematic. Um, And Dr. Gilbert Welch, um, who is one of the people who's done a lot of research on screening, not only for breast cancer, but for prostate cancer as well, is he, he has said that there's a consensus now that instead of more screening, there should be a dialing down and that you need to really look at the risk profiles of individual people. Yes. Um, so why aren't we doing that? And one of the reasons we're not doing that and why don't people know is especially during Pinktober, but throughout the year, when we see all the pink, we see ads. And we see ads for mammography. And, you know, I have a ton of them, but one of them that really captures for me the essence of what's going on has the, the title, All Your Friends Are Doing It, Shouldn't You? Yes. And it's, and it's paid for by a, a mammography service center. Yes. So instead of, here's the information, here's the data, these are the pros, the cons, the limitations of this technology, mm. how can you use that information to make decisions? Instead of that, we see jump on the bandwagon. All right, Gil, we have a few callers on hold. I think oh, we have two. Sure. So let's see. Uh, caller number one who's been waiting for about three or four minutes. What is your name? How can we help you, please? Is that me? That is you. That's Donna, and I'm in Livingston. Hi, Donna. And Thanks I, for tuning in today. <laughs> I just wanted to say thank you for the program and for the book, and may they bear much fruit. All right. Thank you so much. I will, I will look for this book and share it with others. Thank yes. you. Yes. Thank you so much for doing that, and uh, we need to. We okay. need to know about it. Thank you. Thanks for getting the word out. Bye-bye. Bye. Caller number two, you are on the air with uh, Gail Sulik, Dr. Gail Sulik. What is your name? How can we help you? Uh, yeah, this is Susie. Pardon yes, Susie. me for calling back, but uh, Gail, 
Have you seen uh, any statistics on using uh, the sonogram method versus, you know, the digital uh, mammography? And I have read in certain cases, or actually certain medical uh, centers, are now going in that direction because it's less harmful to the uh, tissue. And uh, when I asked, requested that last year, uh, both my... Uh, uh, OBGYN and my regular doctor said, no, no, can't do it. And yeah. I was wondering if you would comment on that, because I've talked to a number of women who are staying away from these mammograms, even though they are requested by the physician. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks, sure. yeah it's a good question. Um, mammography has become the standard. And so one of the issues that comes into play with that is what insurance will cover. And so I'm sure that is part of what you're describing as well in terms of what will be recommended. Um, so instead, uh, and there are more, there are more and more um, facilities that are looking at sonograms, thermograms, and MRI that are more successful and more accurate. But because it's not the protocol and because it's often not paid for by insurance companies, it, uh, unless you do a mammogram first and it is um, not clear, if you do that first and it's not clear, then you can go to phase two. But to go there first is often uh, not the protocol, and it's often not covered. Yes, I, uh, Susie, I would, and everybody, um, the mammograms, as as Gail is mentioning, uh, the success rate is about three to five percent. Which means, if you look at it the other way, there is a failure rate of about ninety-five to ninety-seven percent. That is huge. If you look at thermography. And I would highly recommend for those who haven't, those you haven't checked it, go check the website thermographyofmontana.com and you will see some great research. And for example, a, thermo, a thermography shot of the breast, which is non-invasive, you stand in front of a camera, infrared camera, and it can actually see cancer cells, breast cancer cells, or let me say it this way, active cancer cells duplicate themselves every 90 days. So when you look at thermography, it can take a shot and actually detect breast cancer when it after two years. That means at this point there are about 256 active cancer cells in the breast tissue, 256. It does take mammography eight years to detect cancer cells which have now grown to over 4 billion in size. That is when, if you talk about early detection, the need for early detection, you realize that mammography is six years behind in discovering the early detection, which would give you six more years to actually do something about the active cancer cells in the body, which therefore gives you a chance to do natural methods. You can watch your diet, your stress level. You can do yoga. You can do cleanses. You can do all kinds of things that help to strengthen the body, fight the actual cancer cells, overpower them before they become so big that mammography can detect it. And then what you have left is the regular standard procedures, which are uh, lumpectomy, mastectomy, radiation, chemo, uh, pretty much a death. And I think, Gail, you mentioned in your book about the survival rates 
of uh, people who have been diagnosed with cancer, what is it? If the success rate is about, uh, they call a successful fighting of breast cancer when they can reach five years after detection, is that right? Well, a lot of times you'll hear five the five-year statistics, um, but what there is a consensus that five-year statistics, even though that's what we see a lot because those numbers are higher generally, um, really because of the numbers of recurrences, about a, a one-third of the invasive types of breast cancer will recur, and they often will recur after the five-year mark. So there is a consensus that uh, the five-year statistic doesn't work so well for breast cancer. Huh. That doesn't necessarily make its way out into the public, though. Um, so that that's a crucial piece. And, and I think also in terms of um, why isn't it that, that some of these other detections like thermography, why wouldn't that take hold as much? Is one of the, the issues is what is it that you're detecting, right? Mm-hmm. And so if, um, if you're detecting, we, we know that cancers are in our body all the time, and we, usually our body takes care of it. Um, so if we have a sense that, okay, there is a cancer brewing or that there are some cells brewing, we could individually take some steps as the steps that you were describing. But what we can't do is say specifically what we have been diagnosed with. And the medical system really focuses on giving us a diagnosis. And that's one of the same issues that we have with the non-invasive types of breast cancer because there is a big gray zone in what is in, in, in the abnormal cells that are found. Well, if you look, They don't know yeah, which I, ones yeah. will turn to cancer and which ones will be taken care of. Now, I don't know if we're, we're uh, meaning the same thing here. When I did a radio program on thermography beginning of this year, I had a lady on who was uh, pretty much doing all of Montana, and she will be in Bozeman again beginning of December. But we also had on the program a gentleman, a doctor by the name of Peter Leando, who has been working with thermography since 1974. And he says that uh, as these photos are taken, they are actually sent to a... Uh, lab, and the people who are reading the photos are at least five years post-education. So these people are medical doctors who have been out of school for over five years and whose primary focus is looking at photos and detecting if these are positive or not uh, cancer cells. Is is that what you mean, that you say uh, when does early detection, how can we know if it is a cancer or not? Um, no, I'm thinking we because oh. we we might be able to detect cancer cells. Yes, um, we we may not be able to identify those cancer cells as a particular type of breast cancer since there are many types. Correct. Um, so when when they are early, early, like what you're describing, which is when we would want to to find them, right? Yeah. They're less defined to know what they're going to turn into. Right. Okay. I, I totally see what you're saying. Yeah. And so if we don't, if we can't give it a specific diagnosis in, in our current system, well, we wouldn't be able to treat it with our current system, which would open up that pathway to alternatives, which would, in a sense, go against the system itself. Yes. Yes. Exactly. The existing system itself. <laughs> That is true. And as much as you talk about your book and your book about the whole culture behind it, you have somebody such as Suzanne Summers, who has written a book about uh, breast cancer, and she has interviews with all these different medical doctors and uh, people in also in the alternative field about uh, ways that you can actually uh, help to fight the, uh, the cancer after it's been detected. 
And that, that is fascinating because it really uh, brings out how much work individual people have to do. And we kind of touched on this earlier, but, you know, once you are thrust into this system, cancer is your life. Yeah, and totally. if you and 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 many people will say, you know, if if I knew now what I knew then, I would have made different decisions. Yeah. And one of the if I knew now issues is is the urgency. If people took more time to think about whether um, you know a, a chemotherapy that might extend life by three months or a drug that might extend life by a few months compared to another drug, they might not do it. Yeah. Um, and so all of the work that goes into that, and, and Summers brought that that forward. And there's, um, there's a book that, uh, that also came out this year called Being Sarah. Um, and this woman is in the UK and, and Pink has been growing over there as well. Um, but it's a story about choice control and breast cancer. And one of the things that she talks about is uh, Iscador or mistletoe which Summers also used yes. as an alternative to chemotherapy. Yes. He did not do chemotherapy, and that is such a huge issue and such a, a revenue stream in this industry yes. that to go against that is, is going against the industry as well. All right. Well, that is a good time to close this little segment here. We have about 20, 25 minutes left with Dr. Gail Sulik uh, talking about the book Pink Ribbon Blues, How Breast Cancer Culture Undermines Women's Health. Highly recommend if you don't get in with your comments or calls, uh, stay tuned till 11 o'clock and then go see her website, pinkribbonblues.org. We hope you will find uh, trust in this and, and lots of information that you need. Stay tuned because we're going to be right back. Keeping a finger on the pulse of health research. This is Gesundheit with Jacobus every Saturday morning from 8 to 11. 